This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, back to the field. Base is loaded. The pitch for Yanni. Here it comes. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron. Swings and hits it deep. Get up, baby. Get up. Get up. It's a grand Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby and the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. And live from Cardinals Nation Restaurant inside Ballpark Village, welcome to Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Amarin, along with Rick Horton. I'm with Chris Raby. Whether you're watching on the Cardinals Facebook Live page, listening to us on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network, or on our flagship station, KMOX, we welcome you uh, for a couple of hours of baseball talk and a really exciting announcement as we unveil the 2019 Cardinals Hall of Fame ballot. The Cardinals Hall of Fame, of course, presented by Edward Jones. Rick, I know you're fresh back from Florida and the fantasy camp. It's, well, single digits outside. Snow's yes. coming down, but we're talking baseball. Yeah, we're talking baseball. We're talking something we love to talk about, too, and that's the uh, the Cardinals uh, Hall of Fame. We did this a season ago, and I had a blast doing it because we got to find out fresh here who the new people were on the ballots, and it's something that I know Cardinal fans have uh, continued to think about uh, through the winter and uh, the team's getting reconstructed, but the Hall of Fame is so important to this city, to this franchise, and to Cardinal fans. You know, it's so amazing. You look at the players who have gone in since the inception of the Hall of Fame and Museum, the vision by the DeWitts. We sit right now in Cardinals Nation Restaurant just above us, the Hall of Fame and Museum. The names are incredible. The ballot every year is incredible, and it's a tough decision for fans because for a team with history like the Cardinals have, there are so many uh, worthy guys of consideration, and uh, you know every single class, it seems like, uh, involves guys from different eras, guys who have made different contributions, and guys that fans have different connections to. Yeah, and there's been a little bit of a catch-up, too, because the Cardinal uh, Hall of Fame did not start, you know, 30 years ago, so you had to make sure you got all the people that needed to be in it and should be in it. Of course, in the, in the initial class, there were 22. Uh, there were the, the Hall of Famers that were already in baseball's Hall of Fame that became uh, in the Cardinals Hall of Fame based on most of their years being here in St. Louis. Uh, but we've had uh, now five classes. This will be the sixth class that we're starting to see and I think the, the way the process is I like the fact that fans are in it that that's awesome I also like the fact that the Cardinals organization can look back at some people that were maybe in an era that we're not so familiar with uh, and you know Harry Burkeen is a great example of that I didn't know much about Harry Burkeen until last year and, and or the year before found out about him and uh, just uh, realized that he was a pretty special pitcher. You know, we're going to get to the guys on the ballot this year in just a moment, but you mentioned the fan participation. We'll tell you all about how you can vote and how things will transpire over the next couple of months before another great induction weekend later this summer. But what do you think it says about not just this club, but about the fan base, Rick, the amount of participation they get, the fans that are going to vote, uh, that are showing up and, and really voting in incredible numbers every single year, as you mentioned, this thing just 
you know, a couple of years, a handful of years off the ground. Several people I talked to within the last few days, I said, I, I know it's coming out, and we're going to get those names very soon. And every one of them said, I can't wait to vote. And, you know, you get about six weeks to do it, but uh, there are people that are chomping at the bit wanting to express, you know, that guy's my favorite player. I loved this guy when I was a kid. Or, I, you know, something about watching this guy play the game was, was head and shoulders above uh, the rest of the players of that era. He represents the era. Well, this is our chance to, to vote those guys in. And it's a, it's a special thing, too. We've got, the, of course, we've got the, the Major League Baseball Hall of Famers, but we've got the Cardinal Hall of Famers, Two, you think about Willie McGee and Jim Edmonds and, and so many others, Ted Simmons. Uh, that's a special group that may not be in the Hall of Fame, but they're in our Hall of Fame. All right, of course, last year an incredible class with Ray Langford, Vince Coleman, Harry Burkeen, as you mentioned, and a time we've all been waiting for. Right now, let's head upstairs, find out the candidates for the 2019 Cardinals Hall of Fame presented by Edward Jones. We turn it over to Tom Ackerman and Cardinals President Bill DeWitt III. Good evening and welcome to the Cardinals Hall of Fame and Museum. I'm Tom Ackerman alongside Cardinals President Bill DeWitt III and an exciting night as we get to reveal right here the six on the ballot for the Cardinals Hall of Fame in 2019. And Bill, Cardinal Nation is frozen solid right now, so it's nice to warm them up with a little baseball talk. And let's talk about this Hall of Fame, which has been a tremendous effort by the club. I know you're very proud of everything that's happened. We are. You know, we started in 2014 when Ballpark Village opened and inaugurated that first group of 22 members who uh, really required no votes. They were the people that were in Cooperstown and, and other legends of, of Cardinals history. But then, um, you know, we've had five classes elected since, and, and now it's gone from 22 up to 40. And, you know, this will be our sixth class this year, and it's still an incredible ballot of candidates. I mean, to think that we would have uh, inaugurated that many people and there's still this backlog of amazing players it is just a testament to the great history and tradition of Cardinal baseball. We have a red ribbon panel that features 14 committee members including two Hall of Fame managers and Tony La Russa and Whitey Herzog. So the discussion goes on for a while. We go through everything to make sure we have the right candidates and we feel like it's a pretty good list that the fans will vote on. Yeah, it's, it's really fun being in those meetings. Uh, you're a member and uh, a good contributor, but it's really, um, it's Whitey and Tony and, and the other writers who have been around a long, long time who just are perfect for these kinds of debates because they take it seriously. Um, they've seen most of these players and, and they can compare one against the other as well as across generations. Hall of Fame writer Rick Hummel, a member of that group, and it's always great to get everybody together. And now, we get the chance to reveal the ballot, which is exciting. And the first name on their bill is someone who's back on the ballot once again, the great Keith Hernandez. Yeah, I mean, what a great player he was for the Cardinals and obviously went on to uh, some other uh, teams like the Mets and, and beyond. But he, um, he had an incredible season in 1979, won the MVP and uh, just a great hitter and probably redefined defensively the first base position six straight gold gloves at first base just a remarkable player and someone that many believe is the best fielding first baseman of all time and Keith Hernandez is on the ballot you talk about great players and great Cardinals Jason Isringhausen the Cardinals all-time saves leader is back on the ballot yeah it's fun to have him back on he um, is a great character a great personality but what a great closer too I mean in an era now where we think about a few years for a closer and then you know things can happen seven straight seasons with the Cardinals as our closer 
and you could just count on him. He was reliable and for great teams. I mean, these were teams that were constantly making the playoffs and going deep into October. Isringhausen, a great Cardinal, and his teammate Matt Morris is on the ballot. Matt, an absolute horse for Tony La Russa. He made 11 starts in the postseason. Yeah, 101 wins as a Cardinal and just a great competitor, fiery competitor. He was our ace for a long time, also for great teams. And, uh, you know, I think possibly a little bit underrated as far as the national audience might uh, think of him. But, you know, for those of us that were around when he was our ace, um, you know, we don't get to those postseasons so many times without him. Morris won 22 games in 2001, and he is sixth on the Cardinals' all-time strikeout list. Edgar Renteria, also a member of that infield, and Renteria put together a great season in 2003. I mean, he hits 330 that season, but he could do a little bit of everything. Yeah, I mean, he was an all-around player, and I think um, sort of a, a, a quiet personality, but they loved him in the clubhouse, and he just went out there and performed. I mean, uh, I remember in the committee meeting, although they're confidential, I will say one thing Tony said. Um, he said in the, in the heat of battle on a tough game, extra inning, playoff game, you wanted them to hit the ball to him because he was going to catch it, throw it accurately, and he was just steady out there. I mean, you think about the great team in 2004, one of the best Cardinals teams of all time with Pujols and Edmonds and Larry Walker and Edgar Renteria is a name that gets forgotten. And then there's Roland, who was on the ballot last year. He's back again as expected. And you talk about one of the great fielding third baseman of all time, but he could hit too. Absolutely. You know, um, he's been getting a little talk about Cooperstown as well. Um, I think people are starting to appreciate just what a key impact he had on these great Cardinal teams of that era. And um, like you said, unbelievable defensively. That was his reputation, but key hits. You know, I recall the big one off of Clemens in the, uh, uh, in the playoffs in 04, I think that was. But um, just a, a great competitor and a great Cardinal. Yeah, Game 7 in the NLCS against the Astros. Maybe the loudest moment in Bush Stadium 2 history was that home run. The place was shaking when he hit that one. Uh, and also John Tudor. I mean, John Tudor is back on the ballot. And, Bill, he has the Cardinals' all-time record for winning percentage. He has the Cardinals' all-time record for ERA. And he put together a few seasons that were remarkable. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this, the stats for Tudor, um, there are 30 teams in Major League Baseball. I bet 25 of them would have him as a top five player of all time. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's that good. He, and uh, just a, you know, his winning percentage, 705, um, tiny ERA. And, you know, one of those pitchers who would be just as good today. I mean, it wasn't all about 100 miles an hour. It was incredible control, accuracy, and came up big uh, when it mattered most. John Tudor, 1985, had an ERA of 1.93 and 10 shutouts. That's tremendous. And Dwight Gooden was pitching for the Mets. Otherwise, Tudor runs away with the Cy Young that year. What a list. I mean, it's a terrific list. Hernandez, Isringhausen, Morris, Renteria, Roland, and Tudor. And fans will have plenty of time to vote, as you'll have this summer a ceremony at Ballpark Village. Yeah, starting in March, uh, really kind of running through spring training, and then early into April, to, to mid-April will be the voting period. And um, fans are going to vote for all these guys, but two of them, the two top vote-getters, will go into the Hall of Fame in that August ceremony. And it's, um, 
it's just exciting to think that that all of these guys are so worthy so that the winners are, are going to be I think excited and, and I think they're starting to think too um, you know maybe I, maybe I can get in and and the, the the tradition now of the red jacket and the and the ceremony is, is starting to really build and I think whoever gets in is going to just be incredibly excited about this moment. The Cardinals Hall of Fame induction ceremony presented by Edward Jones, a terrific sponsor, is on August 24th. It starts at 3 o'clock, but you want to get in there early. It'll be packed. And then, as you said, March 1st through April 12th is the voting. Fox Sports Midwest will have a special. Uh, we on the Cardinals radio network and our flagship station KMOX will be carrying festivities as well. And it's a wonderful time inside Fox Sports Midwest Live. Yeah, that event is is becoming a must-see event in the summer. And it's just, um, you know, the speeches and all the guys that are in their red jackets behind the stage. It's quite a moment. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's one of the highlights of the summer for me. Handled uh, MC duties by one of the best, Dan McLaughlin, the television voice of the Cardinals on Fox Sports Midwest. For Bill DeWitt III, the Cardinals president, I'm Tom Ackerman. Thank you for joining us. The ballot is set. Now it's your opportunity to vote starting on March 1st on cardinals.com. All right, thank you, Tom, and thank you, Bill. Rick, there you have it. The Cardinals 2019 Hall of Fame ballot has been revealed. You can go to cardinals.com slash HOF and vote all the way from March 1st until April 12th. First of all, your impressions of the new half dozen guys on the ballot all returns uh, to the ballot, but uh, a couple of them will be joining the already 40 elected members of the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Well, I think my first thought, uh, Rabes, is that uh, every one of these players is deserving, just as, the, as Bill DeWitt said and Tom Ackerman said. These are, are great Cardinals, and, you know, it's hard to make the list small, but it's interesting yeah. to me as I've kind of counted up what they've said there's six players and they've had more in the past so they whittled down the, the the group a little bit maybe to make it a little easier for us as fans to to, to vote because it is a it is a tough thing to do every one of these players and you think about the eras they represent you think about Renteria and and Morris being players of the 90s and and of course Hernandez 70s 80s Jason Isringhausen uh, the, the the 2000 and beyond along with Scott Rowland and John Tudor as the eight as the 80s guys so there's they're really kind of across the board as we were talking about earlier, just they kind of fit that, it, that it's you can vote for uh, your favorite Cardinal, and I just love the process. I love what they said, too, about how it culminates in that very special moment here at Ballpark Village when those guys are inducted. Those speeches are priceless to me. Again, along with Rick Horton, I'm Chris Raby. We are at Cardinals Nation Restaurant inside Ballpark Village, right underneath the Cardinals Hall of Fame and Museum. Rick, let's spend just a moment now talking about each of the guys on the ballot. We'll go alphabetically, and we'll start with Keith Hernandez. Just an incredible player, still a great personality. Love seeing Keith, and a guy who really had not just an incredible career with the Cardinals by numbers and accolades, but by the time he was here, here for a decade, and, and wore the birds on the bat for 10 years. That was surprising to me when we talked about him last year uh, as a potential guy for the Hall of Fame. The number of years where he uh, was a Cardinal, I think of him as a Met. But if you ask him what he identifies with, what team he identifies with, he says, I have always been and always will be a Cardinal. And a lot of is, that might have to do with Seinfeld. <laughs> yes, and it may have to do with who he's talking to when he says it. But, but I believe he believes that. I mean, that's, I think that's Absolutely. sincere. You know, they're, they're, it's kind of your first love in baseball, essentially. And, and he had some uh, terrific years here, including – 
the, the batting championship and the, the co-MVP and, and the World Series of 1982. But uh, you, when you think Keith Hernandez, you think the numbers offensively, but you're talking about the best fielding first baseman of his time. And certainly I think that you get excited with Paul Goldschmidt coming into the mix, thinking about how Keith made that team better and those teams better defensively that he was a part of. Yeah, he had a tremendous footwork around the bag. And, you know, you'd watch him work with pitchers on pickoff moves, and, and that may, became a weapon. Of course, when the Cardinals in the 80s were playing the Mets and he was on the Mets, you know, they had to really work hard to, to, to hold down the Cardinals running game. But, but he had range to his left, to his right, always in the right spot. He threw well. He had quick feet. He wasn't the fastest guy. But, and he also wasn't the guy with the biggest power necessarily, but he could get hit, hit big home runs when needed, and he had big hits. And he's always the guy, you know, when you were playing against him, that you just didn't want to see him up with the game on the line. Let's talk next about a guy who was often on the mound with the game on the line, and that's Jason Isringhouse. And I know that Izzy is still a fixture within the organization, and uh, part of the club was just down at fantasy camp. And, my goodness, closing out some games for some incredible Cardinal teams under Tony LaRusso. What can you say about Izzy and what he did over the course of his career, but especially across the street from us inside Bush Stadium 3, Rick? Well, i got to start with what he did the last week down in Florida because all he did is entertain uh, several. Uh, campers that were down there because he's just such a genuine guy and so committed to the game of baseball. He's, he's just a fun guy, and and not only a fun guy, but a big-time competitor and, and a guy that when you look at the save totals for Izzy year after year after year, uh, he was dominant and, and, and very dominant. And, you know, I think towards the end of his career, injuries certainly became a factor, and then there was always questions about, well, you know, is he ready to do it? But his, his ability not only to do the job, but he also was – terrific to a young pitcher named Adam Wainwright and helped him develop into sure. a closer short term and then of course he became the starter that he is but but Izzy was a very good teammate during a time where he was hurt uh, I, Izzy would be uh, Izzy would certainly be an easy guy to vote for another great teammate and another great leader we heard Bill DeWitt the third talk about the number of strikeouts that uh, he racked up Matt Morris what comes to mind when you think about Matt and again I uh, no, you can say that about all these guys, but another guy who was just a part of some incredible clubs. Good clubs. Uh, they didn't always have the the finish. You know, you think about the late '90s teams where they were they were, had some really good talent. That was the Langford era, the the Renteria era, and we'll talk about him next. But uh, you know, really good players, but never quite the, the the World Series championships or the or the pennants during those during those times. But Matt Morris was so good when he was young. He was. Uh, second in the, Cy, in, the, in the Cy Young Award balloting one season. He won 22 games. He was second in the Rookie of the Year balloting. So this guy was a big winner early. I remember thinking when Matt first came up, Rapes, I think this guy reminds me of the kind of numbers that Bob Forsh put up, and he's going to be that kind of pitcher as long as he stays healthy, and the problem is he didn't. He just didn't stay healthy. But still, great numbers for Morris. I think maybe underrated because – not a lot of October baseball with those teams, but uh, but but Morris, if you if you look at Matt's uh, numbers, I think uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised. Doesn't it put it into perspective too? You say not a lot of October baseball. Still four division titles. He was yeah. a part of in eleven right. postseason starts. Well, that, uh, for that, a lot of clubs, that would be a ton of postseason I guess, baseball. I guess when you think World Series, yeah, that, yeah. that becomes a different thing. But yeah, I mean, it, and again, the the. The, the ability to get into that kind of that limelight of late October, let's put it that way. I think that's sure. a fair, that's a fair that's a fair statement. But uh, but Matt was Matt was 
dominating. He had he had a high. He was he could run that fastball up in the zone, uh, through over the top. Had that nice, smooth, easy delivery. And again, I thought this would be a guy that could pitch for a long time because his his delivery was so smooth. And again, the injuries just caught up to him. But uh, you know, certainly uh, certainly worthy to be on this list. Edgar Renteria right in that mix as well. Tail end of the '90s through 2004 couple of gold gloves, three silver sluggers, a guy who could really do it all at the shortstop position. El Capitan is what they call him. He, they said he was really the unofficial captain of the team at the time and uh, a, a terrific teammate, smooth fielder. You know, he was somewhat of an awkward fielder in a sense. If you watched him, you'd say, this is not the prototypical shortstop. I guess we were so used to watching Ozzie Smith in, in years before in Dow Maxville. You know, he was, he was just a bigger guy. He didn't run quite so smoothly, but man, could he cover ground. He was a, had a good, solid arm, and he was maybe the first Cardinal shortstop that, that I can recall who had the power to go deep the other way. And, and that was a new era of baseball, and Renteria became that person for the Cardinals. Oh, what a duo it was for a couple of years with Edgar Renteria and then Scott Rowland at third base. You talk about four gold gloves, four all-star games, a silver slugger, a World Series championship in 2006, ends that postseason with a 10-game hitting streak, and a guy who has not only a shot to get to the Cardinals Hall of Fame, but the National Baseball Hall of Fame as well, Rick. So he started with the Phillies. He goes to the Reds, but uh, the numbers that he put up as a Cardinal were the best years that he had in baseball. And the all-star, almost every one of those years, the gold gloves you mentioned, the big hits, the big moments. uh, And, you know, Scott Rowland was on some great teams. In fact, the the 2004 team, to me, is, is still... One of the one of the best teams I've maybe ever seen is offensively. That was an incredible team, a team that had Reggie Sanders on it. And nobody remembers it, and he drove in eighty or ninety runs and hit over twenty-five home runs. And he's an afterthought. There's so much talent, but a lot of that talent was in the middle of the lineup, and that uh, includes Scott Rowland, uh, outstanding defender, also a very good, smart player, good base runner. And finally, Rick, the final of the six players on this year's 2019. Cardinals Hall of Fame ballot presented by Edward Jones is John Tudor, who, again, just put up eye-popping numbers, 125 starts as a Cardinal. He won 62 games and, in 1985, put together one of the most dominant second halves and one of the most dominant stretches in a Major League Baseball that we've seen from a starting pitcher in a long time. I know Jake Arrieta had uh, similar numbers, and people were comparing it to John Tudor's 1985 second half a couple of years ago. That says a lot. And amazing that John Tudor did that without throwing 95 miles an hour. He, he dominated teams. He was 20-1 and one after deciding one day to rip his uniform off his back, and, and I think I believe he set it on fire because he was tired of losing. How do you go 20-1 and one after June 1st? Well, I, well <laughs> and how do you do that? You know, it's a good question, and, and he did it. With, Pitch a lot. With a guy, and literally throwing 86-87. Uh, with a changeup, didn't have much of a breaking ball. I mean, he just had impeccable control. I, I, I was uh, teasing some people, or we were talking about him, and I said somewhat teasingly, I don't think he threw a ball out of the strike zone after June. I mean, he was just dominant, uh, didn't walk uh, many batters at all, 10 shutouts, uh, and, you know, you're going to have to ask somebody older what a shutout actually is because we don't <laughs> have those anymore. But he had, he had 10 of them himself in 1985, and John Tudor was as good a competitor uh, as any teammate I, I had during my time. Well, there you have it, cardinals.com slash HOF. That's where you go to vote, beginning on Friday, March 1st, and going until Friday, April 12th on Fox Sports Midwest, a pregame special on April 26th. 
We will announce the 2019 class. And then, Rick, just to wrap things up here, Saturday, August 24th, will be the induction right outside where we are now at Fox Sports Midwest Live. Always one of the best weekends of the year. Yeah, I think about Ray Lankford and Vince Coleman and their speeches last year, guys, that both guys that I played with. And it just has such meaning for not only those players and their families, but people that have been around them to realize that that moment when they're up there talking about what the Hall of Fame means to them personally, you get some kind of neat moments in that where they're really being emotional and, and deep and uh, both those guys uh, came through uh, in, the, in their talks, as, as have the guys before them. So I expect more of the same uh, this summer. All right, again, go to cardinals.com slash HOF. And a big thanks to Edward Jones, sponsor of the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Thanks to everyone watching on Cardinals Facebook Live. We'll take a break here from Cardinals Nation Restaurant inside Ballpark Village and be back with more on the radio network and our flagship KMOX. Along with Rick Horton, I'm Chris Raby. Big thanks to Mike Anderson as well. And we're back after this on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show with Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby on KMOX. Well, we're getting set to head to Jupiter. You should come join us final week to book your spring training vacation to Roger Dean Stadium. Make your reservations at cardinals.com slash vacations or call 1-800-892-7687. Chris Raby alongside Rick Horton. Mike Anderson back in our network studios was really, really fun to unveil the candidates for the 2019 Cardinals Hall of Fame ballot. If you have any thoughts, tweet us at Sports. Give us your thoughts and uh, what you think about the preliminary ballot. Again, Keith Hernandez, Jason Isringhausen, Matt Morris, Edgar Renteria, Scott Rowland, and John Tudor. We'll come back and have some of that reaction and more as Rick hangs out with us until the top of the hour. Hey, a great way to see a game at Bush is with a group of your friends and family. Group tickets on sale now in groups of 20 or more. Receive great incentives, including a discount of up to 50% off the gate price in most seating areas. For more details, visit cardinals.com groups or call 314-345-9000. Another quick break, and then we're back having fun at Cardinals Nation Restaurant inside Ballpark Village on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Ameren on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. And the Cardinals Kids Club, presented by Rawlings, is the fan club for kids 13 and under. Membership includes exclusive Cardinals items, two tickets to a 2019 Cardinals home game, an invite to a members-only party at Bush Stadium, and much more. Visit cardinals.com slash kidsclub to join. Alongside Rick Horton, I'm Chris Raby. We are at Cardinals Nation Restaurant inside Ballpark Village. Rick is fresh back from Cardinals Fantasy Camp, the commissioner after another, I'm sure, successful uh, weekend. You guys expanded things uh, a bit and i've heard nothing but as usual just awesome reviews uh, about what is just a awesome and unforgettable couple of days down in jupiter well more than a couple of days this year yeah it was it was a bit longer one extra day and we had more campers this year than we've ever had before 140 campers wow so we had 10 teams worth of guys and 34 former cardinals including hall of famers Bruce Suter, Ozzie Smith, Whitey Herzog, David Eckstein came and stayed for the whole camp for the first time, as did Teddy Simmons. So we had Cardinal Hall of Famers there uh, as well in, in Simmons and Ray Lankford. Uh, but it, it was just such a special week. I always say, Raves, you've heard me say this before, uh, it's good for my soul to go to that camp. I just come back refreshed, happy, loving baseball, loving card, and, and loving these guys too. There's several campers that have been 
more than 15 times to Kansas Fantasy Camp. I've been there 18. I, I counted that up and it made my head spin a little bit. I've been to all but one of them, essentially. Uh, and it's it's really evolved into kind of the right schedule. Scott Terry runs the schedule, and he's all buttoned up with that and does a terrific job of really running the details of the camp. And I get to MC it, really, and it's a little bit like herding cats. But uh, I enjoy it. I think that as someone who was fortunate enough to go last year, not just the enthusiasm of everyone that's there. And if I do it again, if I'm lucky enough to do it again, I will drop any self-consciousness or anything at the door <laughs> because yeah. everyone has a good time. Everyone gets ragged on. Everyone laughs. And the thing that makes it so incredible, Rick, is the buy-in and the enthusiasm from all of the former Cardinals that are there. And whether it's an Ozzie Smith, whether it's um, – Someone like Brian Jordan, who was on my oh. team last year, who's one of the best athletes all around in the last two decades, who's out there playing and, and trying and caring, you know, the managers, the players that are competing, that want to win. But that, you know, I always tell everyone, BJ last year, by the middle of the first game that we played, knew every single guy's name on the team and a nickname for every single guy. It's just the buy-in you get from the Cardinal alumni is unbelievable. We always say that we uh, handpick the guys, and I don't do it, but the Cardinals will handpick the guys who really represent the the organization well. But, you know, the, the more I've thought about that statement, yeah, it, it's easy to do that because there's so many guys that are quality guys, and you mentioned Brian Jordan, but uh, just so many other guys. You know, Danny Cox represents an era, and he's a fun guy to be around. We have our humorous guys in John Costello uh, <laughs> Uh, and Dave Lapointe. Hey! And, 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 yeah, we did that little <laughs> shtick again. Uh, but but it is, you know, it really isn't hard to find a good guy. Bo Hart was there, and Bernard Gilkey came to his first camp. Awesome. So we try to bring players that haven't really maybe been as connected to camp, and I will say it's a real service to them because they come back and they get to be in uniform again with us, and then you get the feeling that, you know what, I am part of a family. I'm still part of this family, and I maybe didn't play with Jason Ezringhausen, but I really have gotten to know Jason uh, and uh, down at this camp, and, and that's pretty special. Bo Hart's another one. It just just really melds so well with the rest of us. Rick Ankiel actually came over and visited the camp. He was not actually working in this camp. championship last year. But he, oh, yes, and, and they hit a home run, as I recall. Uh, Ryan Ludwig hit a home run this year, as did a camper, by the way. So we actually had wow. a first camper home run in a while. So I, it was fun. I was on a caravan with Bernard this year, and it was the first – caravan he had done his first time going down to camp and i said listen i don't want to pump it up too much but i said you're gonna love it and i said it, it will be and i said i don't mean to be out of turn because i haven't been a part of events for other organizations but i said from what i've heard from guys this will be different than anything you've done whether it be met stuff or whatever this will be different and he was excited about it. I hope he had a great time. He did. I heard he played pretty well, he too. He did, and, and, and there's no <laughs> – Looks well, like he could still yeah, play. Well, he, he can still play, but the, the veteran guy, and Brian Jordan went through it when he first came down, you, you have to have that adjustment between expecting the ball to come in at 85 yeah. miles an hour and it's at 55 from a camper, so you have to count to about 10 before you swing. So there's a little bit of that that goes on, but, you know, these guys really catch on that it's not all about the baseball. And as I have always tried to explain the value of this camp, it is very difficult to put it into words clearly because it, it, is, it is a feeling that you get. It's a connection that you get that is, is hard to describe. So words sometimes just fall short of actually what the experience is. So uh, at some point I just tell somebody, trust me. Trust me yeah. if you'll love it. And if you don't love it, I'll be stunned.
and, and a big credit to you mentioned Scott Terry, but Joe Pfeiffer and, and yes. his group, everyone from the Cardinals that's down there, you know, all the clubhouse guys, it's just second to none experience. I know it sells out, it seems faster and faster every year. So keep your eyes peeled on the website uh, for details about what's coming next with Cardinals Fantasy Camp. We'll take one more quick break. Rick's going to be with us for another segment. We get a half away from pitchers and catchers reporting. We'll get into some more of that next. It's Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Amron and the Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show with Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby on KMOX. We'll hear from Claves next hour. The 2019 Cardinals official calendar spotlights the signature artwork of the team photographers with a special salute to Unbreakable Cardinals records. It's on sale now at St. Louis area retailers or at 314-345-9000. We'll give it away right now. Caller 3 at 314-531-1120 gets a Cardinals 2019 calendar. One more segment with Rick Horton. And Rick, about a week away from pitchers and catchers reporting Mm. of the players that were officially deemed free agents by Major League Baseball when the free agent period opened after the World Series. There were 220 of them. 54% are still unsigned. I saw a list uh, today that was uh, basically an all-star team. If you made a team. If you put all those guys together, just so many players that are top-notch players. And, you know, what I see coming with that, uh, Chris, at some point is going to be some kind of a, a, a labor struggle. And hopefully it's not a long protracted one and nobody's hoping for that because you know obviously there's a lot of money in the game for the players and the owners both but but I think from a player's point of view they're starting to get frustrated with the fact that that the earning potential of the higher end guys is just disappearing and certainly in terms of length of contracts now you know the other side of that might be if you're putting the owner's hat on it's it's wise and prudent to do so instead of paying somebody for 10 years that only works for you for two so uh, it's not an easy argument but I think the players are starting to get a little agitated by it, and the guys that are out there, I think, are probably getting a little nervous about finding a job. You saw Yasmani Grandel sign a one-year deal with the Brewers. Um, great catcher, maybe the best catcher on the free agent market, and he said he did it because what he was getting offered for multi-year deals, he thought it wouldn't be fair to the guys who will come after him. I wonder if you'll see more guys maybe sign a one-year deal, say, I'll bet on myself. Bryce Harper could make a lot of money signing a series of one-year deals, injuries or other stuff notwithstanding. Well, the other thing that will happen is the guys who may be pending free agents, and I can think of a first baseman who plays for the Cardinals now, that that may be inclined to say, hey, let's look at a longer-term deal. Uh, We'll give you one. Let's talk about it in season. Let's talk about it now. You you don't want to go through waiting till next March to actually get a job, so let's not not that – you know he's now he's going to have have trouble finding suitors, but maybe at the dollar amount that he's thinking. So perhaps you have a better shot at 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 signing him to a longer term deal. Let's hope so. The Cardinals have been one of the more active teams around baseball, certainly within the division. And you know uh, the last time we talked, when, when you and and Kamish joined us, I think we thought that by this point a lot of stuff would happen, but it's become pretty apparent, especially from the Cubs, that they just might not be able to do anything. And I think. If you're a Cardinal fan right now getting ready for spring training, you feel like maybe there's another move or two to be made. Cardinals could still tinker. They could still add. And I think certainly compared to last year, you feel good about how you stack up right now in the division, albeit we're not even to February yet. Now, Whitey Herzog at our fantasy camp made a very bold and strong statement that the Cardinals were going to finish way ahead of the Cubs. And he picked a number, and the number is huge. And, and you thought, wow, Whitey does not say those things flippantly either. But he, I think he – really does believe that this Cardinals team is is has jumped ahead of the Cubs. I mean, in his mind, he believes that wholeheartedly. Now, he didn't say he felt that way about the Brewers necessarily. And, you know, I find the Reds 
A very interesting team. They could go, they could continue to go the wrong way, or they could get these kind of veteran mishmash guys working with these young good players, and and it might work. I mean, it could work offensively for them playing in that ballpark. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. And they've got new starting rotation, which they desperately needed. So, uh, you know, I think they're in, they're going to be interesting. Let's put it that way. I don't I, I don't know how good they'll be, but they'll be better. So, you know, it's always fun. That's what. Uh, that's what the hope of a new season is all about. All right, we've got uh, a minute left or so. I know that FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, you guys have a great event coming up on Friday uh, over on the east side in, in Illinois, Rick, and, and it's your luncheon, and you've got a great special guest. Daryl Strawberry will be with us. It's going to be at the Metro Community Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. You can still awesome. get tickets, stlfca.org and you've been kind enough to let folks know about it. But, you know, it's going to be better week uh, weather this weekend. And, and so perhaps be if, golf you, weather. if you were wondering about it, uh, you can go listen to Daryl Strawberry and go play golf over the weekend. But uh, you, you'll really be encouraged by his message of, of, of really grace and redemption. And, and uh, he was the guy that I love to compete against, and I'm going to enjoy spending some time with Daryl. We have uh, many people already signed up, but uh, we've got a few tickets remaining if you're interested. And that website again? Again, it's stlfca.org. All right, put you on the spot. Last 10 seconds. Klaibs and I talked last week with Mariano Rivera going into the Hall of Fame and his cutter. If you could have stolen one pitch from anyone and added it to your repertoire, what would it have been? Well, I, I, that's that's a hard one not to say is an answer. Uh, I think I would have liked uh, Jordan Hicks's fastball. <laughs> that's a good one. I mean, considering his fastball was about 30 miles an hour faster than mine, I would like to know what it felt like to actually throw a ball and have it hit the glove a nanosecond later because mine would kind of float in there. And I just think that would be fun. That would be a fun toy to have. Thanks for coming out, buddy. Yeah, you bet. Always good to be with you, Rapes. That's Rick Horton. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up Hour 1 of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. And the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team returns to Bush Stadium May 16th. Tickets on sale now at cardinals.com slash soccer. A big thanks to Rick Orton for joining us all hour. Uh, thank you also to the guys from the Cardinals for getting us on Facebook Live. Brian Finch from the Hall of Fame and Museum. And also Tom Ackerman and Bill DeWitt III. Mike Anderson's back in our studios. Hour 2 coming up. Chris Ramby with you. It's Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Amarin on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. All right, back to the field. Base is loaded. The pitch for Yanni. Here it comes. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron. Swings and hits it deep. Get up, baby. Get up. Get up. It's a grand slam. Oh, a green slam home run for Yadier Molina. He touches them all. Now, Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby and the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Second hour of Cardinals Countdown to opening day on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. We are presented by Ameren. Chris Raby with you, and a big thanks to Rick Horton for joining us in hour one. Also, Bill DeWitt the third, and Tom Ackerman. A reminder that you can learn more about voting and this year's Cardinals Hall of Fame ballot at cardinals.com slash HOF. All right, in a moment, we're going to check in with Mike Claiborne. He is on the high seas with the Cardinals skipper Mike Schilt on the Cardinals cruise. We'll also hear from Andrew Kisner, one of the Cardinals' top prospects and one of the top catching prospects in all of baseball, and the great Whitey Herzog. All of that and more in this second hour of the program. Let's head to the cruise right now. Mike Claiborne and Mike Schilt catching some rays and talking some ball. Claibs? Thank you very much, Chris. Well, we're on the Cardinal cruise. We have a chance to visit with the Cardinal skipper Mike Schilt. 
This is your second one, right? It is my second one. It's a good time. Good time for you and probably your last moment of downtime before this thing gets started. Yeah, I get to get home to Charlotte, spend a little time with mom and do some last-minute things around the house and get um, some details planned and then head to Jupiter on February 7th. You know, it'll, it'll get here before you know it, and I know since the offseason is taking place, you probably had, what, a million suggestions and on how to manage and lineups and things of that nature. But what do you take away from that first year where you've had an offseason to really reflect and think and put some things down on a napkin or a piece of paper? Yeah, it's been a lot of different um, positives this offseason, Claves. I think the one that's probably stood out the most is the reinforcement of the passion and the the love. And that's not, not understating it. It's the love for the – um, St. Louis Cardinals and been to a lot of different places and been able to you know have a chance to speak to some groups and on this cruise and just the passion for um, of our fan base for this for this team and this organization and the excitement going in 2019 has been very very um, memorable. You know you talk about the cruisers they are passionate there's no doubt about that what's the most fun thing you've done on a cruise and this is your second one? Well you know, um, outside of having dinner with you most nights on the cruise, I mean, that's probably the highlight, right? I mean, you know, so a not-so-distant second would be, um, you know, I just enjoy the interaction with people and talking baseball, you know, and it's it's, um, it's not something I kid about. I enjoy it quite a bit. So, he's, you know, I've got different suggestions. As you mentioned, um, I had a gentleman mention to me that, you know, this I need to we need to squeeze more. And uh, so, we'll, we'll you know, we'll factor that in. But it's been uh, it's a good time. People here treat us really well. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. You can talk baseball, and I think that you can always walk away learning something different, learning something new about the game. There's a lot of different ways to win. Uh, the core things are obviously pitching and defense and timely hitting, but there's so many things that go into it that people see from a different spectrum. Yeah, you know what? We're, we spent a lot of our offseason thinking about just that. You know, I've used the term, you know, closing our blind spots and, and turn them into sweet spots. and. You know, Kissel would always, Mr. Kissel would always, you know, say, listen, and he would. He'd go to clinics anywhere and he'd listen to everybody and he didn't discount um, anyone's information or, or uh, suggestions for the game. And he would, he would take it and didn't have to be a big league coach or manager. You could be a little league coach or you could be just a observant fan and, you know, something that says, somebody says something or sparks a conversation or a thought that, that leads to something that creates an edge for us in competition and, and always open for that. You know, you just use the term observant fan. I think this is a game where if you just pay attention, if you pay attention, you'll be reasonably successful. You will. You know, Clay, one thing I love about the game of baseball of many is if you take a step back and you just appreciate of 45,000 people or so in Bush Stadium most every night, and you just look at what different lenses people are looking the game out of. And I just think it's so cool that a game has that much different perspective for people and then people are getting different joy out of it and you know clearly there's a strategy to it which we appreciate and you know obviously have to pay attention to but um, I just love the fact that the game provides so many different lenses for people. Is this the busiest busiest offseason Mike Schiltz ever encountered? You know what it it is but I will say this I spent um, four wonderful offseasons putting together with some very good really really good baseball people our our organizational manual mm-hmm. and um you know we started that when george passed and and um want to capture a lot of that information and, and capture it and, and you know be able to have as a reference point a little more definitively and um 
you know, that was a project I really, really enjoy. Spent with a lot of really good people and learned a ton doing it. Uh, How thick is it? You know, it's probably um, in a binder now about, you know, three-eighths of an inch thick. Um, and just starting it from somewhat zero uh, and then getting to where now it's just an editing process. But it did take, you know, we had different forms of it. I won't bore you with it. But, um, you know, that was two or three years. And it was more like technical writing, you know. And, I, and when I say I wrote, I didn't really I, I wrote and helped edit it, um, but I, I wouldn't claim any original thoughts to it. I was just compiling information and putting it in, and you know. But you had to start somewhere. It's more like technical writing, and um, you know, it was a different kind of uh, discipline than this offseason. Different, different responsibilities, but um, but similar in a, in a time-consuming standpoint. But I loved it. You know, that had to be fun for you because with each season, you come away learning something, and you make the notes there. I got to put this in the manual because maybe in some cases it's a trend that you better be able to counter because you see how this game changes over the course of time. The game's evolving quicker than it ever has, right, Claves? Yeah. I mean, it just really is, you know, and it's um, between analytics and technology and, um, you know, the, the fact that guys are throwing four mile an hour harder than they were three or four years ago, and it's an evolving game. And, you know, we like to be old school with our thought process, and I think that's good. I think the fundamentals of what old school represents is still applicable to our game. But if you're just going to stand by old school principles and, and think that's it, then you're going to turn to old fool real quick. <laughs> so, so you know, you got to stay stay with it, man, and stay stay relevant. How long did it take for you to find that happy medium between old school and the analytics? You know, I looked up really, when I, and I was blessed to, A, be with the Cardinals, but I looked up at a transition time in the organization, so I wasn't as entrenched. I was in a sense that I grew up and still believe to this day about fundamentally solid baseball, but I point I'm getting at is when I first started I looked up and that was when we started transitioning the Cardinals into the scouting department with analytics and Jeff Lunau was 2004 was in a corner um, with a computer and everybody's like yeah what's that all about and, and a lot of people made fun of and I've always been we talked about observing earlier and you know always try to be observant and watch and see and, and pay attention where the game's going try to stay ahead of the game and I just realized hey this is where this game's going so I started to immerse myself in understanding what it looked like because my job was not to dictate it is a little bit more now, but at the time it wasn't necessarily the case with, with, with the Cardinals. My job was just to execute, and still is, what the organization wants to do and how they want to do it and where the directions are going. So I was always open to understanding what that looks like, and I, I saw it, and I saw some value in it. And like anything else, you take a piece out of it that works, and you know that's that's the that's the key to this all is taking you know the applicable things and, and making them just that um, usable and applicable. And, and so I looked up, realized what, where the game was going a little bit, and, and adjusted. And you know, unfortunately, there's people that, that looked up and didn't, didn't think that was going to be something they needed to take serious. And, and some really good baseball old school guys are out of the game now. I asked you earlier. Uh, I, I said to you earlier, you were a busy man this off season. What's the most fun thing you did? Because you were showing up at a lot of places and a lot of different times where I know people really kind of got a kick out of your involvement. But what did you have the most fun with? I really enjoyed going to like the stam usual awards that was really cool i, I that was something that because you, you know it's an opportunity to a remember stan a little bit and not that you forget him but just you know opportunity to really kind of capture what he's about and the essence of him and but also it was um really really cool in the sense that um they gave awards to people throughout the country for people that are this in the spirit of competition and um you know, I love competition. I love people that, that embrace it, and, and I like I enjoy the stories quite a bit. It's probably one of my my more in, um, enjoyable evenings of many. 
Well, I'm looking forward to you being on the chicken circuit next year after we win, and you'll really be in demand then. I cannot wait. Looking forward to it. Thanks for the time. Me too, Claves. Thank you to Mike and Mike, Schilt and Claiborne. If you want to get down to spring training and catch some sun and see some Cardinals baseball, this is the final week to book your spring training vacation to Roger Dean Stadium. Make your reservations at cardinals.com slash vacations or call 1-800-892-7687. Quick break, and then we're back. We're going to hear from Andrew Kisner, not just one of the Cardinals' top prospects, but one of the top catching prospects in all of baseball. That's next in this second hour of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show with Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby on KMOX. A great way to see a game at Bush is with a group of your friends and family. Group tickets are on sale now, and groups of 20 or more receive great incentives, including a discount of up to 50% off the gate price in most seating areas. For more details, visit cardinals.com groups or call 314-345-9000. Welcome back. Chris Raby on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren. We'll talk group tickets a little bit later, and we'll visit with Whitey Herzog. But for now, we check in with Mike Claiborne, who's standing by with one of the Cardinals' top prospects from last week's winter warm-up. Well, we have a chance to visit with Andrew Kisner, Cardinal prospect that certainly has turned some heads over the last few years in the minor leagues. First of all, how was your offseason? My offseason was great. I uh, got a lot of good work in. Uh, I was able to work hard on pretty much all phases of my game, uh, trying to improve everywhere. So, uh, you know, we got spring training coming up, so I, I got another chance to, to continue working and to continue to, continue to get better every day, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. You've been a guy that's kind of been on the fast track within the organization. Uh, I think you started to catch everybody in the Arizona Fall League a couple of years ago, had pretty good outings in the minors since you've been there, and now people are starting to really look at you as perhaps being the heir apparent. What are some of the things you try and work on now to make sure you're on track? Well, I think uh, I think there's one thing that, that I'm trying to work towards, and, and that's consistency. I feel like overall, I'll just stick defensively. Defensively, I think um, my skills are there. Everything I, everything I need to do is there. What I'm trying to do is be able to repeat it every single pitch. Uh, and, and that's what I'm really searching for. And I think that's the, the number one difference between guys in the minor leagues and, and big leaguers is the big leaguers are able to repeat their skills every single day, every single game. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on, and, and, and that's just going to come with getting more reps. One of the things we always see with young catchers is learning how to call a game. How has that progressed for you? Because that's one of those things. We've been blessed here in St. Louis to watch Yachty call games for everybody but at some point that's going to be your tag how's that come along well I think I've always always been pretty good at calling games um, and like I said it's something that just comes with with experience uh, learning your pitching staff being able to work with your pitchers find out what those guys like to throw and another big thing is is the scouting reports we get uh, today more than ever we have so much information at you know to use and uh, I think the key for me is the to continue working with that information and really finding out what's important and what's not important so uh, that's something that you know as I continue to get higher and higher in, in the minor leagues that the, the scouting reports become a little bit more in-depth and I think that's uh, that's one thing that'll really help me be able to call a better game were you a born catcher or did somebody just throw the gear on you and throw you behind the plate yeah, so I uh, I was a shortstop my whole life. I was an all-state shortstop in high school. What state was that? Virginia. Okay. And then I, I went to North Carolina State, and we had Trey Turner, 
with the uh, Nationals. He was our shortstop. He was a junior. I was a uh -oh. freshman. Yeah. yeah. So they said, hey, slide over and play third base. So I ended up playing third base my freshman year, played every game, All-American at third base. The next year they said, hey, look, we need you behind the plate. We don't have any catchers. What do you think about that? And I told him, look, if that's what the team needs, I'm going to help the team win. So I converted my sophomore year to, to catching full time, and uh, I've never I've never really come come from behind the plate. So it's uh, it's something that's taken a lot of hard work and a, a lot of dedication to, to get good at, and I think uh, I think it's all paid off. Well, you know, it says to me that you're an athlete to be able to make so many adjustments and then the transition to the toughest position on the field, catching. Uh, what's the one thing that was difficult for you when you first put on the equipment? Obviously, other than putting on the equipment itself. Yeah, that's right. So I'd never, I'd never owned catching gear, not a catcher's mitt. So I was, I didn't know which way to put the straps on my shin guards. I had no idea. But I think the hardest thing initially is just the physical, the the physical toll catching takes on your body. Um, because I, I guess, I guess I always took it for granted, like having catchers, you know, as a shortstop. It was, hey. You know, just just catch the ball back yeah, there, but it's it's a lot it's a lot more than that, and you really have to be able to take care of your body, and and you really have to uh, mentally be able to be able to focus and then relax and then focus again because you you're always thinking as a catcher. When do you head down? What's that? When do you head down to Jupiter? Uh, so I'm heading down a little bit early. Um, I'm going to be down there February 1st. Uh, I've talked to Yadi a little bit and. And I think we're gonna we're gonna work out a little bit together, and um, you know I take that as an opportunity for me to accelerate my catching skills and knowledge behind the plate. So I'm really looking forward to it. Well, we're looking forward to watching you develop and uh, just stay ready because you know how this game works. That's right. I'm I'm just trying to get better every single day. So uh, whatever opportunity the Cardinals throw at me, I'll be ready for it. Thank you, sir, for your time and good luck. Thank you. The great Whitey Herzog. When we come back, it's Cardinals countdown to opening day, second hour of the program. Chris Raby with you. We're presented by Ameren, and we're back after this on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Ameren, on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Welcome back to Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day. Chris Raby with you on the Cardinals Radio Network. Let's hand it back over to Mike Claiborne with Whitey Herzog. It's always great to see you, and we've got so much to talk about. Hall of Fame manager, and now you still follow the game as close as anybody. What do you, what do you like now about the game? Because you and I talked about how pitching is being used today. Well, you know, I hate to say it, and I hate to be negative. And uh, the use of the bullpens is different. Uh, people are carrying 13 pitchers on their 25-man roster. Uh, we never did that. Uh, if a manager carried 11 pitchers, it was because he had three, four doubleheaders coming up in the next 10 days, and then it was a designated hitter. Uh, I remember Earl Weaver when he had Palmer and all them 20-game winners. He used to carry 11 pitchers sometimes because they'd all go seven, eight, nine innings, and he had four 20-game winners. But today... I still don't agree with the idea that everybody's using. The starter goes five innings, he gets 100 pitches, they take him out. Then the sixth inning, a seventh inning, an eighth inning, a ninth inning pitcher. So that means you can play a 3-2 ball game and use five pitchers. And the next day, if the same thing happens, you've used 12 pitchers in two low-run ball games, and the manager says, oh, i got to get somebody up from the minors. We're short of pitching. I still believe, Mike, that the best way for bullpenners to be used that they're better off to pitch two or three innings today and have a day or two off. I don't think the fact that they warm up, sometimes they warm up maybe twice, three times before they get in the ball game. 
I think that's more of a wear and tear on their shoulders and their elbows than the fact if you'd use them two or three innings once in a while. You know, it's amazing you talk about getting a guy up to warm up. You know, his arm doesn't know this is just a practice throw. And, you know, there's a lot of guys who I think leave their best stuff in the bullpen because maybe they throw too much out there. Well, it's almost like a doctor telling you to take these pills every four hours. The pills don't have an alarm clock. And when you tell some of these young hyper guys to get up in the bullpen, within 10 pitches, they're throwing as hard as they can throw. And they might throw for 20 minutes. And then at the end of the inning, you tell them to sit down. All of a sudden, the next inning, the first hitter gets on, they're back up. And then they come in the ball game after warming up three times and the manager makes a statement to the press. He didn't have nothing. Well, hell, he pitched three innings <laughs> before he got in there. Hey, but, you, and I'm not knocking the manager. I said, that's the way the game is. That's the way it's played. But, uh, you know, you got to be concerned today with the number of pitches thrown in a nine-inning ball game and the average from 320 to 360, when we used to average around 265 pitches on both sides for a nine-inning game. A 285-pitch nine-inning game is three hours, but most of the games now are 320 to 360. We have so many good young power pitchers or throwers, and they don't know how to put hitters away when they get them down 2 nothing, two strikes, no balls, or 2-1. and one. They miss with the ball two-pitch, the ball three-pitch by six innings. A hitter ain't going to swing at that. You know, it, when I was with the Mets, our theory was an 0-2, let the hitter make the mistake. Throw the ball hard away about three inches off the plate. If he was a ball, then throw one about two inches off the plate inside. But don't you make the mistake. And I don't think that's reached now. I, I might be an old-timer, but I really believe baseball would be better off if we, had, we didn't have the radar guns in a major minor league park. You know, that's interesting you say that because everybody's now conditioned to turn around and look at the gun, and that's supposed to tell them that they're pitching well. No, they're throwing hard, but I'm not sure if they're pitching well. That's a terrible thing. You know, if you're a manager of a baseball team, and I used to tell Hub Kettle, you keep them in shape. I'll make the decisions. All I care about is they get them out. Now, I don't care if a guy is throwing 100 miles an hour or 85 miles an hour. But if velocity meant everything, then Catfish, Greg Maddox, uh, John Tudor, all of these guys, Catfish Hunter never threw over 87, 88. He's in the Hall of Fame. There's a lot of pitchers in that Hall of Fame that couldn't throw 90. I know we got a lot of hard throwers now. But I really, when I was managing, when somebody would come in the first time before he get his windbreaker on every inning, he would say, what's the gun say? You know, I'd say, I don't care what the gun says. Get him out for crying out loud. And I think that's a big problem. And that's why I think we, I think that there are so many 11 pitch at bats. Uh, they're 0-2, they go to 3-2, and two, they follow off two pitches. And then they say, oh, boy, what a quality of bat. Well, he should have been retired in three or four pitches, and it went 11. And when you look at the box scores every day, teams strike out about 11, 12 times a game. So instead of putting the ball in play for 20 outs, now they're putting them in play for 15 outs. And that's something that was said last night down at the Legends Camp, which I agree with. Ozzy said we used to build clubs with middle-of-the-road defense, catcher, second base, shortstop center field and it's still important but you don't hear too many people talking about it let me 
ask you, you know, we, you talked about pitch count. Why do we circle 100 as the mark? Is there enough data that says, well, you know, you're not going to be as good after 100 pitches, but where did that come from? Because it seems like that has decided the fate of so many players today. We went from the four-man rotation to the five-man rotation in the 70s. The reason for that was everybody says Gail Hodges had a great bullpen in New York. Kansas City with Phoenix A's had a great bullpen with Jack Aker and good young starters. So they said, oh, if a starter only starts 32 times instead of 40, we'll have better stuff. We'll have more complete games. Well, it's worked just the opposite way. And I think part of that, when you look back at baseball, including in high school and college and the minor leagues, how do we expect pitchers that can't throw over 100 pitchers in the minor leagues to come up to the big leagues and pitch complete games? It can't be done. We baby them too much. I think the fact, let's see, let's, let me give you a stat that's really something. I had Nolan Ryan out of high school. I was director of develop, player development for the Mets. I had him all through the minors. We traded him to the Angels, one of the worst deals in the history of baseball. Nolan Ryan could throw 108 miles an hour. At 42, after averaging 157 pitches per nine-inning game, he was still throwing 92. My theory is very simple. I don't like the pitch count. If a pitcher has got his thing, rhythm together and his delivery and his release, it's good, and he's not struggling or laboring, I don't think pitch count makes any difference. When he goes out there, he struggles in the first inning, but he's control, he's laboring, trying to overthrow. If he hasn't got it by the third inning, you better get him out of there because he's going to hurt himself. And I don't think pitch count has a lot. And sometimes I say, maybe we're too smart. Maybe the agents are controlling how many pitches they're supposed to throw. And we're saying the medical profession, well, they shouldn't throw at 19 years old or 20 years old over 100 pitches. I don't know if that's true or not, but it sure looks like it. You know, it's funny you said uh, that we're babying guys too much, especially pitchers. And you hear from agents, general managers tell the pitching coach and the manager, hey, let's bring it back a little bit. But I'm going to wait and see how many of these guys that they baby to see how long their careers are going to be. Right. And I don't know if we're going to see these guys that are going to go 10, 12, 14, 15 years and have good stuff because they never threw enough. Well, I agree with you. You know, what about Spawn and Burdett? When they were in their heyday and starting 40, 41 games a year, they used to long toss from foul line to foul line the day after they pitched. They would throw, and then they were on four-man rotations. They'd uh, throw batting practice 15 minutes from their second day. Rest one day and then start the game, go nine innings. I, you know, I hate to talk about old timers because I, I, don't, I don't agree that everything we did was correct. But why <laughs> didn't you hear about motor cuffs? We used to hear about bone chips. They take bone chips out of your elbow in two weeks, they'd be pitching. Now, every time you go to a medical person to get your elbow evaluated, you get Tommy John surgery. You know, I, I, I remember when you were in Ted Wilkes, when I was a kid, Ted Wilkes got operated on for bone chips, 
down the stretch for the Cardinals. He's pitching in two weeks. So the whole thing's different. Most of it is good for the best. But I think we're too smart. I just think we've got a, a lot of decisions other than common sense decisions, and I think common sense still prevails. You know, the technology you can't argue with, the, the medical profession, uh, they can help people, help players a lot further. But I, I think that we're looking at the preventive maintenance more now because guys are bigger and stronger. I don't know if they're better, though, because they physically, they, they look the part, but when you look at what they can produce, you have to wonder sometimes. Yeah, you know, it, it really bothers me. You know, it, you listen, I watch all the games on TV when I don't do, go to the ball games. I see the Cardinals generally 160, 155 times a year on TV and going to the ballpark. But let me say this, you know, it, it sounds like sometimes when you listen to the broadcast and not knocking the announcers or anybody, that we're the only people that got people throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. Everybody's got them. Yeah, it's the same thing. You can bring them out of the bullpen. You got a Rosenthal. You can, somebody's got one just as throws just as hard. But they don't become pitchers. What happens? They're throwers, and they don't aim for the inside corner. The right. They don't aim for two inches off the outside when they're ahead, or two inches inside when they're ahead. And they invariably go to three and two on hitters because they're they're really not major league command pitchers. They're par pitchers, and all they care about is throwing a strike. And if it's 99 miles an hour, they're happy, even if he hits a home run. You know, you and I were talking about bullpens. And I asked you the question, and I'll ask it again. Are we going to go back to seeing the fireman return where you'll see a guy in the sixth or seventh inning come in a ball game where the game's on the line, runners at first and third, and there's one out, and you got to get out of this inning because this is where the game is going to probably be decided. We have closers, but you knew firemen, guys that put the fire out. Are we going to start to see that a little bit more? I think some of the managers are getting smarter. And if the middle of that lineup's coming up, say your second, third, and fourth hitters come up in the eighth inning, why don't you bring your closer in to get through that eighth inning and let the other guy pitch the ninth or let the closer finish? With the designated hitter, which there isn't much double switching and stuff going on, you know, if you're ahead by two runs in the eighth inning and you bring in your reliever and he gets beat, oh, why did he went with his best? There's nothing to it. Yeah. Yeah. Are we getting back to it? There is a point in the game, in every game, and every game is different in baseball. There's no book. Today isn't like yesterday. Yesterday don't mean nothing. Everything counts on today and tomorrow. So why don't we do that? Why don't we use uh, in the seventh inning, all of a sudden, they got their good hitters coming up, the bases, the eighth and ninth hitters get on base. Why don't you use your man there? Because that's the ball game. And throw in the fact that if you've got a guy that can't get the seventh, eighth, and ninth hitter out, then he probably you you got bigger problems to That's deal right. with. And you better say this is it right here, brother. It's not cutting time, and we better get in there and do our best. We got to get out of this inning, whether it's the sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth. You managed for a long time. You've seen a lot of managers come down the pike. What are some of the basic things managers have to be able to do today? 
you've seen it all, and you've seen a lot of guys come and go, but what are the constants you think are still important? Well, I, I just, there's a lot of attributes you have to do as a big league manager because everything's in the press, everything's on the news. And first of all, the manager has to know how to handle the press. There's a lot of times when they ask you questions after the game. You don't have to be guarded all the time. You can say if they're good people, which you know which ones are good and which. I can answer, say, I'm going to answer that question, but it's off the record. I think that's what managers should do, and I think a lot of them don't do it. They try to hide it. They become guarded, and I think that's bad. And they get when they get caught, they get burned. That's right, and then they, the writers look at that, and they, they know that, that they've kept things from them that they should have brought out. And maybe they, why didn't you use this guy in this situation? Well, maybe he knows he's hurt. He's skimpy that day. Tell him. There's nothing going on say off the record. It's not on a disabled list, but he was not available. And that way you take that second guessing away, and a writer can write what's, what's honest. The manager has to be honest. The press has to be honest. They have to be honest to each other. The manager has to be honest with his players. You have to talk to your players if you have a gripe before they read it in the newspaper. What's wrong with bringing them in and saying, look, I want you to do this and that. When he walks out that door, it's over with. I've told him what I want. If he reads it tomorrow, we talked about it. I think that's where most of them fail. We always love hearing from Whitey. Thank you to Whitey, and thank you to Klebs. The Cardinals Kids Club, presented by Rawlings, is the fan club for kids 13 and under. Membership includes exclusive Cardinals items, two tickets to a 2019 Cardinals home game, an invite to a members-only party at Bush Stadium, and much more. Visit cardinals.com slash kidsclub to join. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll tell you about group tickets next. It's Cardinals Countdown Opening Day, presented by Ameren and the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Back to the Countdown to Opening Day show with Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby on KMOX. Welcome back to Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren. Chris Raby with you on the Cardinals Radio Network. Great to have Justin Meyer from the Cardinals. He's the manager of group sales and ticket partnerships. And he's also back from Jupiter, Florida and the fantasy camp. How are we doing, man? We, we didn't come back injured this year. Everyone had a good time down there in Florida? Everyone had a blast, thanks to uh, Joe Pfeiffer and, and all the hard work that his staff does. Uh, got to, got in some baseball, no major injuries, and everyone's recovering. Uh, every, everyone's having a great time um, and enjoying some frigid temperatures in St. Louis. Yeah, we had Ricky Horton with us in hour one. How did the commish do this year? He did great. I think it's always <laughs> a treat to, to have him and, and some of the other foot faces like Dave LaPointe and everything that goes along with it. Justin Meyer with us on Cardinals Countdown to opening day. We're counting down to getting to Bush Stadium and a great chance to bring your group out. Group tickets for the 2019 Cardinals season at cardinals.com slash groups. Cardinals.com slash groups on sale right now. Justin, tell folks whether they've brought a group out or they haven't, uh, what you guys do with these group tickets and how people can take advantage of getting to Bush Stadium. Yeah, I think it's a it's a vital piece of our business and, and trying to get you know, a lot of people organized, whether those be schools or churches or nonprofits, you know, throughout the region, you know, providing them with a, with a discount because they're going to bring 20 people or more with them. Uh, you know, we've got a great schedule. Uh, we get to welcome Albert back, hopefully with the with the Angels. Uh, the Cubs are here. 
great promotional items that uh, you know groups can take advantage of, uh, and we're happy to tailor and specialize uh, plan for anyone. You can go to cardinals.com slash groups, cardinals.com slash groups. I'm sure you guys have had every kind of group come out and, and spend some time at the ballpark with you. For sure. We, we, you know, we work with over a thousand groups every year. Uh, you know, we have a tremendous and robust, you know, repeat business. Uh, we've developed so many relationships within the community. They, they you know, they kind of snowball and, and group leaders bounce from one school to the next or one organization to the next and just love what we do and kind of the, the benefits that they see and faces on kids when they walk on the field and, and just all the experiences that we can provide for them. Well, experience, that is uh, the word, Justin. It's not just going to the game, enjoying the game, you know, getting the uh, personal ribbon board message, a scoreboard photo. It's also some of the extra experiences that people can take advantage of with their groups. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of what folks can do because, again, it's more than just watching a great baseball game. That's one of the awesome things we get to do, you know, creatively design a, you know, an incentive package, whether that be with our amateur game programs and playing some high school or college baseball and Bush Stadium with our athletic associations, with our pregame parades, or even the grassroots and, and having kids sing a national anthem or God Bless America or Take Me Out to the Ball Game. It's so neat to see some of the, the things that we can do with groups in the community and how those segue into stories and lifetime memories created here. One of my favorite parts is watching people throw out first pitch or get out there and, and sing the national anthem, and it's always the kids who get out and belt it and you'll have the best time with it, it seems like. For sure. You know, I think normal occurrences, you know, someone's in the first pitch room, we'll call it, and, and they're, shall we say, a little nervous about, you know, should we go to the mound? Should should I just go to the grass? Should I only walk out there a couple feet? That honorary pitch is, uh, you know, it's it's a tremendous opportunity, and we're, we're very thankful that we get to work with so many groups like it. But for that person doing it, it's also, um, you know, quite a nerve-wracking experience uh, prior to, but they always seem to have a lot of fun with it. Cardinals.com slash groups or call 345-9000 and groups of 20 or more can get discounted tickets to single games and also get some of those great extra incentives. Again, tickets on sale now, cardinals.com slash groups. Justin Meyer, we appreciate it, man. We'll see you at the ballpark. Awesome, Chris. Thank you. The U.S. women's national soccer team returns to Bush Stadium on May 16th. Tickets are on sale now at cardinals.com slash soccer. Back to wrap things up on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron, on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Final segment of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Amron. A big thanks to all of our guests tonight, Rick Horton, for joining me at Cardinals Nation Restaurant for the first hour. Also, build it with the third, Tom Ackerman. We also heard Mike Claiborne with Mike Schilt, Andrew Kisner, and Whitey Herzog. And a big thanks to Justin Meyer. Don't forget about the 2019 Cardinals official calendar. It spotlights the signature artwork of the team photographers with a special salute to unbreakable Cardinals records. And it's on sale now at St. Louis area retailers or by calling 314-345-9000. And let's give one away right now. Caller 3. Give Mike Anderson a call at 314-531-1120 and we will get you a 2019 Cardinals calendar. Just one more show until we're down in Jupiter, Florida. Big thanks to Ben Boyd, as always, Mike Anderson, and Ann Carroll. I'm Chris Raby. This has been Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 